Welcome back to Five Quick Questions. My name's Shane. This is a mailbag type of series where I take either questions from Instagram or off YouTube or a combination of both like today. And I answer them in this mailbag format. If you want to have your question answered, I'll leave some links through to my Instagram. You can keep an eye on my feed where I ask the questions on there and also on my YouTube channel feed. If you're not already subscribed, please do so. Let's get into it. The first question is from Andrew Copeland. He asks, hey man, love the series. Do I ever buy secondhand guitars? There aren't many secondhand guitars in the lineup at the moment, are there? There's not a whole lot in my collection right now, but I purchased lots of them over the years. As you may or may not know, I have a Guitar Search Saturday series, which is essentially me going around to music shops and checking out stuff. And over the years from doing that, before I was even filming them, I picked up many used instruments, including Gibson, Epiphone, Fender, just about everything over the years. I've picked up heaps. But the ones in my collection right now that are considered used is my Tokai 145L, which is based on a 335 from Gibson's made in Japan. It's a beautiful guitar. It was hardly ever played. It was part of a collection of a guy who passed away here. He's a left-handed guitarist. He didn't really play them. He just collected them. And I ended up with a few of his guitars. So my other one that I had in recent times was a Gibson Gold Top. It was a VOS custom shop with P90s. It was a beautiful guitar. Man, I miss that thing. It was really something special, but dental work called at the time, and it was just one of those things. I also actually have a bass guitar here, an Ibanez Sound Gear, which I do all my backing tracks with and also use live as well. That's one of those guitars I picked up on a thing called Gumtree here, which is essentially like Craigslist. I got it for a deal, and it's been part of my home studio ever since. Up next, we have a question from Nick Vaz. He says, how do you successfully go from playing in your bedroom to performing on stage? So my suggestion would be, go to jam nights. But before you go to jam nights and you, if you go to a blues jam or an open mic night, learn a couple of easy songs. Make sure you understand at least how to make chords because there's certain sort of bar chord shapes you can use over anything. When I first went out and played live at a blues jam, I was too nervous to play. Six or seven weeks in a row, I used to turn up with all my stuff and never play until a couple of guys said, tonight you're getting up. I don't care how bad you are or whatever. And they were very, very encouraging. I got to play through a Fender Twin that very first time, which was awesome, <laughs> instead of my crappy little Sammy amp I had at the time. And then the addiction to it started, you know, like I, I loved it. And I re it makes you realize what you need to work on as a player. And you can also draw so much information from other players. I learned a lot of the chords that I'm playing, even to this day, from guys at Blues Jams. There's a couple of shapes I use a lot, a couple of ideas that I learned way back in the early days but my suggestion is practice enough so you can jam along with the cd for example if you're going to a blues jam learn not to play over the vocals but just get out there and do it you know the biggest regret i think a lot of people will have as a guitarist or any musician really is not taking it out of the bedroom so get out there and play live force yourself to jump into a very uncomfortable position because years later i can pretty much turn up at any gig or any jam night completely unrehearsed and make something work and that's just something that comes with a lot of practice and being in that situation a lot. I'm never or very rarely ever nervous when I play live now because of that. I, doesn't, I don't care what's going on around me. Well, I do. But what I'm trying to say is I don't really care what's going on around me. I can probably make it work. And it really encourages you to grow as a musician. So just get out there and do it. Find a local blues jam. Even just go down there a few weeks in a row and see what's going on. See what the vibe's like. And if the other people are sort of like encouraging other people to get up, that's a good thing. Sometimes the clicks at these places can be pretty weird. So just make sure wherever you go, they sort of encourage other people to jump up. Sometimes it can get a little selfish at the jams as well. Trust me. 
Here's a really cool question from Miles Cookman on Instagram. He asks, British or American sound? So for those who don't know what that means, essentially there's two sort of flavors of sounds on the most part, the American sound being like the Fender, the Mesa Boogie kind of sound. And then you've got like the English tones, which are basically like, you know, your Marshalls and your Vox and all that stuff. I'm going to sort of break this down as easily as I can. I think I still prefer over everything I've heard from the Marshall. The Fender Clean still is something pretty special. I love my Marshall as a clean pedal platform. But when you're talking about amps like the Super Reverb or the Vibralux, you know, any of these kind of amps, the Fender Twin, the George Benson Fender Twins, another great one, the Hot Rod Deluxe, the Blues Deluxe, there's so many great clean tones out there. So I'm going to give the American sound or the Fender sound, even the boogies have a great clean tone as well, to the American voicing. I just absolutely love that. It's big, it's round, it's got a really great sound to it. Now, in terms of overdrive or distortion tones, English, hands down. I don't care if we're talking Vox or Marshall. I've owned two Vox amps over the years, the AC30 C2 and the AC15 C1. Uh, both of those just had that top boost channel. They were awesome, but I'm absolutely loving the fact the Marshall DSL 40 CR sounds as great as it does. And I've actually got an American voiced speaker in there. But man, the tones, I, you know what? Marshall's one of those things that I never thought I'd end up with, but I'm loving the dirt tones. So I'm going to give the nod to the English. I know that's sort of separated down the middle. If you could get a great combination of clean tones from a Fender and the drive tones of the gods <laughs> from the Marshall, I think we'd have the ultimate amp. So someone work on it and try to keep it light. I think that would also be great. This next question is from ZD351 on Instagram. John, welcome. Thanks for all the support over the years, mate. I appreciate it. He says, so what guitar-related thing did you used to hate, but now you love and vice versa? I had a couple of things that I purchased over the years that I hated when I bought them. I was like, what have I just done? I was like, I'm an idiot. Why did I buy this thing? The first one I'm going to mention as a pedal is the Klon KTR. Before I understood how to use the Klon, I got it home. I was... I had all the hype in the world from my friend, Dr. Rick. He bought one as well. He's like, oh, you'll love it. Just buy one. You'll, you'll love it. I'm like, all right. So I get it home and I, I compared it to a Tube Screamer. And I was like, this thing sounds terrible. But then I tried it out in the mix. I tried it as a boost into other pedals. And in a live situation, man, there's almost a, not a better pedal just as a sort of transparent boost with a little bit of dirt. It really cuts through in the live context. And because of that, that would have to be the pedal that I thought – you know, I don't understand it while I'm sitting here at home listening to what it's doing. But when I hear it out, when you play live, it's it's a really great pedal. So I'd have to say that in terms of pedals. If we're talking about guitars, I have to throw this brand in there, Harley Benton. I thought for sure a lot of the people promoting how good they were were paid off <laughs> from Toman or whoever. And I actually confronted them about that when I was at KickCon last year. I said, how many of these guys are on your books? Uh, until I had a chance to play those guitars I didn't realize what I was missing out on. They're really great. So I hated them from an ignorance perspective more than anything else. I hadn't tried them, but I figured I wouldn't like them because I thought they would be cheap junk, but I play them all the time now. You see them on my channel. I see them in demos of pedals and all that kind of stuff. So overall, that'd be another brand that really comes to mind. But in terms of amplifiers, uh, I've never been a huge Marshall fan. A lot of the Marshalls that I heard in combo form, not I'm talk not talking about the, the head and box situation, but some of the combos are really heavily mid-scooped. Uh, they have a lot of bass, a lot of bright top end, and not a lot of kick. And these were just the ones that I'd heard up until I got my hands on a Marshall. So that would be, this DSL 40 would be one of the things I, I never expected to have in my arsenal of amps. One of the best investments I've ever made. I tried a prior version to, of this amplifier a couple of years back and I hated it. 
It just it had no nowhere near the same amount of vibe as this one. So, yeah, the Marshall DSL 40 would definitely be uh, something that I'd never consider buying, but I absolutely love it. It's like my number one amp now. In terms of stuff that I've purchased that I didn't end up loving, the 2Rock. As crazy as that sounds, man, the 2Rock Studio Pro 22. Uh, I loved it when I first got it. I thought this was the best sound I'd ever heard, and I got sick of it very, very quickly. Uh, I just, I missed that Fender chime. I really did. That was just something that I missed, and I wanted it back. I couldn't get it out of the 2Rock. It had its own unique sound, and that's cool, but that definitely wasn't for me. I thought, you know what? I'll get another one. So I bought a Studio Pro 30 or 35 or whatever it was. I took it back the next day. I just did not like it at all. Uh, that actually had some uh, issues, uh, like electronically in it as well, but... Yeah, the 2Rock was probably the worst investment I made in terms of an amp. And it did sound good and it recorded well, but it wasn't my sound. It was just a bit too... It had that blanket thing over the top end and it, I, that was a deal breaker for me as much as people love them. This last question is from Claudio Manoir. I think that's how you pronounce it. If not, I'm going out on a limb and going to go with that. So hopefully that's right. He says, Fender Deluxe Reverb 65 or a Fender Deluxe Reverb 68 and why? You know, I've actually owned both of these, so hopefully I'm qualified to actually talk about it. None of them were free. I purchased both of them from different shops here in Melbourne, Australia. So the 65 Deluxe Reverb was the best amp I'd ever plugged into at that particular time with 6V6 output tubes. I think it still is one of the best of all time. Also, one of the most rec recorded amplifiers in history also. Now, I was coming off buying the Eggnator, or what my friends would lovingly say the Eggbeater. <laughs> So I, I had an amp I was completely dissatisfied with. I took it back and I got a 65 Deluxe Reverb and I had that for years. When the 68s came out, there was a lot of hype online. I got suckered into that. I bought a 68 as well. Now, I don't really regret buying it. It was one of the ones that Greg Koch used on the Fender tour here. You know how they do the, the road shows, all that kind of stuff. So I actually bought the one that he used at that show. And yeah, so I got a good deal on it. I thought, I'll take it. So I took it home. It was a... Awful journey getting back that day, I remember. I got it home, and there's one thing I noticed immediately was how much white noise the amp had. So you turn it on, and it would just go, it would have a lot of white noise. This The 65 next to dead quiet at the same volume. So there was that. Now, I don't know exactly what that was, but a lot of those amps did it. There was a lot of complaints on forums, not only about you know, how, how much white noise they had, but also the valve sockets as well. A lot of people were saying they had to get those fixed. They some Something like it would overheat or something. I never actually had those problems with the valves, but the white noise was big enough of a just an, an annoyance, I guess, to want to end up flipping it. But there was another reason I flipped the 68 before the 65. I kept the 65 for a couple more years after. It was the fact that it had so much less headroom than the 65. The 68 would break up a whole lot sooner. And I knew that going into it, but I didn't realize how quickly it would break up. A lot of the gigs I was doing, I, I was pushing my amps with pedals and it would just get a little bit muddy and fizzy sometimes at a much lower volume. So the 65 definitely has more headroom. If you're looking for a better clean pedal platform, the 65 is the way to go. If you like your amp to break up early and have that natural sort of tube compression, go for the 68 but just be very cautious about the white noise. It might annoy a lot of people. It's, I don't know if it's a flaw in the amp or what, but yeah, it's one of those things. So many people have, have commented on that online. Just do a little bit of research if you're thinking about getting the 68. Now, the other question is, I, I kind of feel like the build quality on the USA-made 65s is just better. It's just a better built amplifier in my opinion, but I, I'll leave it there. But overall, I think the, the 68s are good. The 65s are great. Let me know in the comments what you think. 
Thanks for watching, folks. My name's Shane. If you do have any questions, keep an eye out on my Instagram feed and also my YouTube channel feed as well. Subscribe and click the bell if you enjoyed the video, and I'll catch you on the next one. Thanks again. Catch you soon. See ya.